I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 96 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, performance reviews, valuable or destructive? We've had a host of listener questions about performance reviews, most recently from one of our Leadership Beyond the Theory graduates, Scott. I also recently revisited a 2016 article from Harvard Business Review, which identified the trend of some major companies dropping the performance review cycle altogether. As we've just hit the end of the Australian 2020 financial year, our standard goes from 1st of July to 30th of June over here, I know a lot of our local listeners are about to step into the performance review space and go through that gruelling schedule of meetings, documentation, and feedback. Hopefully, this is a reminder of why we do these, and what good leaders do to make the exercise worthwhile and valuable for themselves, 
for the people they review, and for the organisation as a whole. A big shout out to my mentor and friend, Danny Hovey, who basically took a range of tools, concepts and techniques, combined them with his expertise in neuroscience, and put together what I believe is the most comprehensive and practical performance management regime that I've ever seen. Made it easy for me as CEO to get performance and talent management under control. Now, the process didn't help to improve the talent per se, but it was an incredibly valuable window into being able to see the talent we had, and in some cases didn't have. It also enabled informed conversations with leaders right through the levels of the organisation that we never would have been able to have otherwise. So we'll start by taking a look at the pros and cons of performance reviews. I'll ask and answer the question, what is a performance standard? And I'll finish by giving you a rare insight into the performance management cadence that we set up within CS Energy. So let's get into it. As with most things, performance reviews have pros and cons. But performance reviews fulfil a couple of very important functions. They give a structured environment for people to receive feedback. And sometimes it's the only way you can be sure that a conversation has even been held. They enable you to assess performance for any discretionary incentive awards. They train leaders in how to give feedback because performance standards are a pseudo-script for leaders to follow. We'll get to this shortly. Performance reviews also let you calibrate where you've set the performance bar. So if someone you instinctively know hasn't performed particularly well, is still ticking off all of their KPIs at the end of the year, you may have let them set soft targets against a low standard. Performance reviews also allow senior management to calibrate performance across business units, teams and functions. Because let's face it, we all know that there are hard markers and then there are easy markers. What's important to put in place, though, for performance reviews to work? Well, the first thing is really clear standards for behaviour and performance that are communicated well to your people. And this is done through a range of artefacts. So you have performance standards appropriate to the level in the organisation that the person is operating at. You have well-designed KPIs, key performance indicators, for annual achievement over and above their day job. And these are normally the things that are the subject of incentive payments. And you have really clear communication of behavioural expectations through artefacts such as the code of conduct, the company values, and the target culture that you're trying to create, which of course has to be measured. These are all designed to help you with giving your people clarity, because people often lack clarity about where they stand. Every single day, when your people come into work, they really want to know three basic things. It's not that hard. What they want to know is, first of all, what are your expectations of me? Secondly, how am I going against those expectations? And third, what does my future hold? The performance review cycle, if done properly, should go a long way to answering those questions. Let's have a think about the pros and cons of performance reviews. First of all, the pros. I've got eight of these. Number one, it provides consistency. Everyone in the organisation is evaluated against the same standards, and then you can have an apples-for-apples apples comparison between individuals, notwithstanding, of course, the different views that each leader will take about how they rate the performance. The second thing is, it gives you something that is formal and recorded. Now, it doesn't matter how good regular feedback is, people often don't pay attention until something turns up in writing on their employment record. That actually gets their attention. The third benefit of performance reviews is that they summarise the micro-feedback that's been given throughout the year. Now, just be really careful here. They don't replace that feedback. 
they summarise it. There should be absolutely no surprises at the end of year performance review. People should already know how they're performing. The fourth benefit, they feed into the talent management process. I'm going to do a completely separate episode on talent management as it's too big to handle here. But we need to remember that there's no potential without performance. And the outputs from the performance management process are critical to your ability to map, develop and reward your talent. Benefit number five, performance reviews help to break down the halo effect. They force you to look at performance against predetermined criteria. So the fact that someone may be a great person, who everyone gets on with, who communicates well and is a team player, doesn't mean that they're a high performer, even though the halo effect tries to convince us otherwise. This helps us to actually look at facts rather than these impressions. The sixth pro of performance reviews is that they ensure that there's more than one person in the conversation. There's no scrutiny on someone's performance unless it's reviewed through an organisational process. It gives visibility of performance to leaders in the upper echelons of the organisation. Benefit number seven, performance reviews give individuals clarity on where they stand. Now, they may already be getting regular, targeted, timely and specific feedback, but if they don't, this is an opportunity. When continual feedback isn't given, performance reviews are a must. Finally, final benefit is performance reviews let you see which leaders are doing their jobs and which ones aren't. So from a meta level, how a leader conducts performance reviews themselves tells you a lot about their performance. Hi guys, so while you're learning all about performance reviews, why don't you give us one? I know I'm always banging on about this, but there are literally tens of thousands of you who listen every week and only a tiny percentage of you have left us a review. I know that you can't leave us a review if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts and a lot of people listen on Spotify, but why not leave us a Google review? You just need to search us up on Google and you'll find us there. You'll be able to rate and leave your feedback. If you can do that for me, I will give you a 10 out of 10 in your listener performance review. (laughs) All right, back to the episode. All right, let's talk about the cons of performance reviews. The first negative is that they are time consuming. There's no doubt about it. Both the setup and the review take a lot of effort and energy. And if the setup's done poorly, which it normally is, it makes the review process futile. The second con is that many leaders who don't take the process seriously see it as a compliance activity. It's just another organisational process that they loathe and they drag their feet through. So the quality of what happens in the performance review is really, really low. The third con is that poor leaders are poor at conducting reviews and feedback. To avoid having a difficult conversation, they'll often just say, don't worry, you're doing a great job. This creates an incredible number of problems. So my experience with underperformers is that quite often, if I identify a performance gap, I'll sit someone down and I'll talk them through it and I'll explain exactly what that gap is and what I think they need to improve. And sometimes they'll just look at me and say, well, my last eight years of performance reviews say that I'm an exceptional performer. I can't even begin to tell you the number of problems that that creates. The fourth con is that performance reviews aren't always given in context. Targets can be set at a point in time, but quite often they'll shift. And at the end of the year, you end up evaluating the wrong things. Con number five, many performance reviews only look at the KPIs and achievements, not the behaviours and the long-term growth of the individual. This inattention to fixing poor behaviours is a weakness that lets poor culture develop in any organisation. And finally, the final con of performance reviews is they can easily be gamed for bonuses. So we see people setting up a slam dunk at the beginning of the year by how they set their KPIs, 
meaning that they can get their rewards without any real performance at the end of that year. So what do we lose if we do away with performance reviews? Well, for a start, we lose any chance of a structural organisation-wide view of talent. For the individuals, they mostly lose the opportunity to receive any meaningful feedback. And then for your leaders, they lose any sort of growth in confidence and competence that might help them to address performance issues. Let's have a quick look at the performance standard. A performance standard tells an individual what you expect from them. And this is critical in the setup. It should answer the question, what are your expectations of me? Performance standards apply to a particular level within an organisation, not a specific individual role. So in this way, it's different to a position description. A position description talks about the specific tasks, duties and responsibilities of an individual role, whereas a performance standard is a generic performance yardstick for that level in the organisation. For example, you might have one performance standard for everyone who is at the team leader level. There might be one that applies to the executives of an organisation. And when I was at CS Energy, I even created one for myself as the CEO. The key point is that everyone at the same organisational level, for example, a vice president, has the same performance standard. And it doesn't matter whether that VP is responsible for a mine site or for marketing in a corporate sense, the standard applies equally to all leaders at the level. Each separate performance standard has a number of categories along which lines everyone is evaluated. And it doesn't matter whether it's the CEO standard or the standard for someone who's working on the front line. The six categories remain the same. Now, you could do these in four categories or five categories. It's completely up to you. Uh, six is probably the maximum I'd recommend, but that's what we had at CS Energy. And those categories were safety, commercial, leadership, management, developing people, and working across boundaries. Those were the six areas where at each level in the organisation, everyone had a role to play, and that role was specifically defined in the performance standard. In the most comprehensive incarnation of a review process, there are four elements. There's the behavioural standards, which are based on things like the code of conduct and the company's values, as we spoke about before. There's the performance standard, which we just talked about. That tells you what your day job is. The third thing is the annual KPIs, which are used to evaluate your short-term incentives for the year. And then the final component is a career development plan. A performance agreement is basically a one-stop shop for individual feedback. It's structured and it's consistent between levels, between teams, and between different job families. It's basically the template that guides the feedback conversation in the review process for a leader who isn't confident or experienced in giving direct feedback to their people. I want to finish off by giving you a view of my performance feedback cadence. How did I actually apply this and what did I find worked best in the field? Just for context, as Chief Executive at CS Energy, I had five direct reports who were all senior executives. Now, this is pretty easy to manage, right? I've got very capable, competent people and I'm giving them constant feedback all the time about everything that they're doing and we're in constant communication in terms of their jobs and what they're facing. Now, with 20 direct reports in a float organisational structure, you're not going to be able to run a cadence like this because it's quite involved. What's not getting done, though, when the span of control is this high? That's a question for another day. Obviously, every executive that reported to me had a performance agreement, which had all of those four elements that we spoke about before. The cadence for me was built around fortnightly meetings with every direct report. So we'd have a formally structured and scheduled fortnightly meeting. One of those meetings was on their agenda. It was half an hour, 
and on the alternate fortnight, that meeting would be on my agenda, which was an hour. And I also had an open-door policy, so I'd see them many times in passing between these formally scheduled meetings. Now, the meeting that I used to run for an hour, that was specifically to review their performance. It wasn't formally documented and filed each month, but this was the best way to give feedback. So I went through the four areas, the values and behaviours, how they were performing in their day job against the performance categories, the KPIs, the over and above stuff their bonuses were linked to, and the professional development plan. Every six months, I go through the same process, but in a longer meeting, normally about two hours, where I go one-on-one with a formal review of performance, and we'd actually document that. So basically the same assessment, but we get really serious about documenting it with examples and facts. This same process at the six-month mark, we do as the basis for the annual review, a two-hour meeting where, once again, we document and finalise everything that went on during the year. Now, what happened next is what's critical. We went through a moderation process. This wasn't a forced ranking process. It was driven by the executive team and it was supported by HR and the organisational development team. If we had a bonus pool to distribute, let's say we had 75% of maximum bonus in a pool, we made sure that it was distributed based on performance and individuals were rewarded or not based on their performance. So some individuals got zero out of their potential 75% of the bonus pool and some got a full bonus, 100%, because that was based on individually how they went. It wasn't just on raw scores, though. We had to get a relativity between teams. I mentioned before that sometimes you get hard markers and sometimes you get soft markers. And so we had a reasonableness test that came from the top. And when we moderated scores, we had pretty robust discussions, let me tell you, between different executives about the performance of certain individuals in their teams. But if we hadn't gone through that process, we never would have arrived at a relativity measure that we thought was fair for everyone involved. The evidence, once it was moderated, became one of the inputs into the talent management process, which, as I said, we're going to save for another day. There are a few important conclusions we need to make before deciding what to do with the annual performance review cycle. Abolishing the annual review process only works if you believe that all leaders throughout your organisation have the skill, the diligence and the courage to give feedback to their people as and when it's required. All of my experience tells me that you shouldn't believe this, because it's simply not true. By abolishing the annual review cycle, you're just leaving a gap that won't be filled, although it will save you time and money if it's being done poorly now. For me, this is akin to waving the white flag and saying that we really give up on the notion of leaders being able to materially change the performance of their teams and the individuals they lead. Equally, if you decide to persevere with the annual performance review, but you don't push your leaders to hold the dozens of micro-conversations with their people on a daily basis, the whole process can turn into an expensive sham. Performance reviews add value when they confirm and communicate what every individual in your organisation should already know. What are your expectations of me? How am I going against those expectations? And what does my future hold? All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 96. Thanks so much for joining us, and remember... At Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please take a few moments to rate and review the podcast as this enables us to get to even more leaders. I look forward to next week's episode, Addiction in the Workplace. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>